Amen. Now we're turning tonight to Acts chapter 3, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3. We're going to commence reading at the verse 12. Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Let's hear the word of God for those on the internet. The words will come up on screen. You follow along as the Lord gives you help and enablement. Let's remember we're reading God's word. Acts 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly in us, as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, have glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead. For of we are witnesses, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness, in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I would that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before have showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you, first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Amen. We know the Lord will add his own blessing to this public reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. 
And I've simply entitled this theme, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. You see, the Lord had just used Peter and John to heal a man who had been lame from his birth as he lay outside the gate of the temple called Beautiful in Jerusalem. A crowd quickly gathered. They were totally amazed at what happened. It's a miracle. You could hear them shouting it. The people began to look on Peter and John as if they had wrought the miracle by themselves. Peter, not wasting or wanting to waste an opportunity to witness, didn't stand back. He didn't stand tongue-tied. He used the occasion to deliver what I'm going to call an impromptu sermon. It was a second sermon. And God used that sermon that very day to save 5,000 men in Jerusalem. Keep in mind, he's addressing the men of Israel. He was in Jerusalem. He's near the temple, as I've said, at the gate called Beautiful. And he used the language and concepts that the men of Israel could understand. You see, that day as Peter preached the gospel, he set before that assembled crowd of people three great truths. One, he exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. The second sermon, like the first sermon in the day of Pentecost, is full of the person and work of Christ, if you read it very carefully. The second thing he did was he confronted them as sinners about their sin. He didn't tiptoe around sin. He identified their sin and their guilt. This is what he said. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, have glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied at the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And the third thing he did was he called upon them to repent. Listen to these words. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Four things this evening. One, The repetition of repentance. Think of this word, repent. This is the second time that Peter used the word repent. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. Remember the Lord Jesus at the start of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4 and in the verse 17, what did the Lord Jesus say? From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Luke uh, chapter 24 and in the verse uh, 47, uh, we read there, speaking of the Lord Jesus and his ministry, in Luke 24, 47, this is what we read, and that repentance, remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. When John the Baptist preached in the wilderness, he preached for repentance, a short ministry for a few months. Repent ye therefore, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostle Paul preached about repentance over there in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, and in the verse 30, this is what the apostle Paul says. Acts 17 and verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, here's Peter. And this is the second time he's preaching, and he mentions repentance. 
You see, it's the same message. Repentance is required. The thought and theme of repentance is repeated time and time again. And this, I believe, is God's word for our nation at this time. Let it be heard in Belfast. Let it go across to Londonderry. And Londonderry, the maiden city, needs it. I was there yesterday and I witnessed the alcohol abuse. I witnessed the drunkenness among the apprentice boys and the spectators. And I was thinking of the need to call to repent. Let's go up to Coleraine and go down the North Antrim coast and come right back to Lisburn and onward to Newry and through Oma and Enniskillen. Let's go across to London and up to Liverpool and further north and to Glasgow and Edinburgh. Visit every provincial town and visit and hamlet. Go from north, south, east and west of this United Kingdom. Go from Land's End to John O'Groats. And, and this is what God would say to us if the prophets were to return, Samuel included. If the holy apostles, Peter and John and James, were here, or if the Lord Jesus Christ came himself in person, it would be the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is a message that our politicians need to hear. This is a message that the pauper in the street needs to hear. The alcoholic the drug addict, the wife beater, the immoral and iniquitous person, the, the religious person, the person that's uneducated, the, the person that's poor, the, the king and the throne. It's the same message. The repetition of repentance. Repent. I want you to think of something else. I want you to think of the reason for repentance. Why repent? Let's try and understand what true repentance is. If I could define it simply, young people, here's the definition. A change of one's mind that leads to a change in conduct and behavior. That's what true repentance is. It means a change of one's mind that leads to a change in conduct and behavior. And if you examine this second sermon, like the first sermon very carefully, you discover that the people in Jerusalem at that time had wrong thoughts. They had wrong thoughts of the Savior. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? If we were to ask some people, they would tell us he's a mere man. An individual who said some lovely things. Never a man speak like this man. He, he had some good moral teaching. He was a great orator or, or he was a miracle worker. And in that sense, he was a great man. Or, or maybe even he was a martyr who showed to us the love of God. Now he was these things. But he's much more. He's the only begotten son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who saves He's the one whom God sent. He's the one who will be and is our true judge on the last day. And here he is among these people in their thinking. They're robbing him of his glory. Peter says, ye denied him. In fact, he tells them twice. Verse 13 and 14. Ye denied the Holy One, the Prince of Life, the one who was just. You desired a murderer. He, he's telling us what they did. 
And why did they do it? Because they were wrong in their thinking about Christ. They were rejecting him and refusing him because they didn't know who he was. I want to tell you something else. They had wrong thoughts about sin. He tells them here, ye desired a murderer and killed the prince of life. You see, these people in Jerusalem, they didn't know what sin is. What is sin? Shorter catechism question comes to mind. Here's the answer. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And we come to the scriptures. Sin is a breaking of God's law. 1 John 3 and 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. In James 4 verse 17 we read, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So unbelief is a sin. And again in 1 John 5 and 17, we know that all unrighteousness is sin. You see, sin is real. Sin is an offense, an affront to Almighty God. Because at its heart, sin is a transgression of this law. Sin is unrighteousness. What about having wrong thoughts about the scriptures? I had a confrontation with a lady not so long ago in Belfast. She told me that the Bible was a man-made book. She then informed me that the church gave us the Bible. I told her, no, you're wrong. Because the, the scripture says, the Lord gave the word. And great was the number of them that published it. She argued with me that the Bible is full of errors. I asked her to show me one. And of course, she couldn't. And I know the Bible has got a lot of hard sayings and things difficult to understand. But we come to this. The Bible is an infallible and an errant book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is authoritative. It's thus and thus saith the Lord. It's as if the Lord is speaking from heaven. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible's clear. Do you know that young people, the Bible's a very historical, scientific book? Do you know that it mentions the stars? Do you know that it mentions other worlds, planets? Do you know that it even describes for us the hydrological cycle that we learned in school? Do you know that the Bible can be used for maths and English and geography and history? You see, wrong thoughts about the scriptures. And how many have wrong thoughts about the scriptures today? It gives ease to their conscience and their lifestyle. What about wrong thoughts about salvation? How do you and I get to heaven? The Bible teaches not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy has he saved us. Titus 3 and 5. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you ask me what is salvation, I would say this, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And that means that false religion, whether it's Islam or Buddhism, that means that the vast majority of the cults, the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses, 
and all other cults and even the, the church of Rome. That's where they go wrong. Because when you ask them the question, how do you and I individually get to heaven and have the assurance of heaven? They tell you you need good works. They tell you you need the church. They tell you that you need Mary. They tell you that you need penance. And penance is different from repentance. What do they really need? All they need is Christ. Acts 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. And you see young people. Repentance means a change of mind. It, it involves a, a, a U-turn in your thinking. A change of heart and mind. About the Savior. About sin. Sin is real. It's an offense to God. It's a transgression of his law. It involves a change of mind about the scriptures. It involves a change of mind about salvation. The scriptures are true. If you actually examine this sermon that we preached in Acts chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, But those things which God hath before have showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer. He hath so fulfilled. Up to this point, scriptures had been fulfilled. You see, the scriptures are true. And these people needed to accept that they had been wrong in their thinking. Here's another reason for repentance, because it involves a change of behavior. Think of these words, repent ye therefore and be converted. It's not what the text says. Repent ye therefore and be converted. That word converted means to be changed, to be transformed. And that means a turning from sin. In Acts chapter 3 verse 26 we read, In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Isn't that tremendous? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. You see, as far as the apostle Peter was concerned, repentance involved a turning away from iniquity. True conversion is marked by a U-turn, a turning from sin, a turning from a life of self. You see, Peter didn't set out to make people feel better in Jerusalem about themselves. He didn't want them to feel secure. He didn't want to build up their self-esteem. He, he was not out to offer them the promise of a very successful kind of life that will become a, a multi-millionaire. He was not out to make men and women comfortable in their sin. He wanted them, once they saw sin for what it is, once they saw that every sin in essence is a sin against God, sins of thought, word, and deed, even the sins of ignorance, because he says to them, ye did it ignorantly. The sin of presumption. Secret sin. Sins that are open, sins that are blatant, sins that are unintentional. Sins that have an ignorance of God about them. And yet being fearful and forgetful and forsaken of God. Do you know that tonight that the Bible teaches that the plowing of the wicked... Is sin. You think of a man out plowing. 
And in those days, they used oxen and a plow. Today, they use a tractor and a plow. And as that man works his field, you think of him as a wicked man. What's he doing wrong? He's living independently of God. Even as he labors in the field, he's not thinking of God. He has has no dependence on God. He's not thankful for the health and strength that God has given him to be out in the field and even the breath that he's breathing and the food that he's eating. See, repentance involves an acknowledgement of sin. Isn't it so easy to excuse sin, to deny sin, so easy to play with sin? But sin is serious. Sin involves depravity. Sin involves defilement. Sin disables us. Sin darkens us. Sin destroys us because sin is an offense to God. And for you to turn from sin and acknowledge sin means that you take the sinner's place. I am nothing and I have nothing and I can do nothing to recommend myself to God. Isn't that where the publican came to in Luke 18 verse 13? When he cried out, beating on his breast in the temple, not looking to the mercy seat. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Remember Paul talked about, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You see, Paul came to the place where there was true brokenness for sin. He was truly sorry. He he turned from his sin. He acknowledged it. There was a turning from sin to the Savior. You see, that's what repentance is. The shorter catechism says, Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of the true sense of his sin, and appreciation of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new repentance. Not only is there a turning from sin, but there's a turning to the Savior. You're going to cease to do evil. You're going to learn to do well. It involves a trusting alone in Christ for salvation. Think of these words. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Here's the reason for repentance. There had to be a change of mind in all of these areas that I mentioned. And there had to be a turning and a change of conduct and behavior. There's no more mocking of sin. Fools make a mock of sin. There's a leaving of sin that we once adored. There's a breaking from sin. The soul's divorced from sin. Let me tell you the third thing that I want to leave with you. The results of repentance. Notice these words, repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Here's the results of repentance. Not only the repetition and the reason, but here's the result of repentance, that your sins may be blotted out. This is in the aorist tense. This can happen to you. This is you being brought to the place before the Lord where you're passive and the Lord wroughts this work upon you. Remember the psalmist said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Psalm 32 verse 1. That means carried away. 
whose sin is covered, covered out of sight. Think of the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And that means sin is not only carried away and covered over out of sight, but it means it's cancelled out. The debt is paid. And then he adds this, in whose spirit there is no guile. Why? Because the individual has been changed and transformed. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Now, when you read the words blotted out, this is what I think of. Some of you can go back to school far enough when you had wooden desks and you had little ink pods in the desk and you had quill pens and you were dipping the pen in the ink and you were writing with it. And then, of course, the ink smudged the paper and you had some blotting paper and then you tried to um, cover up the, the mess that you'd made with the ink. And then, of course, it, it, it bled through the paper. And you can just imagine that smudge on the paper. And, of course, it, it couldn't be removed. That's not the meaning of the word blotted out. Don't think of blotting paper. I want you to think of this. I want you to think of a debtor. And he's borrowed a large amount of money. And of course, the person that you borrowed the money off, well, he's wise if he keeps a wee record of how much you borrowed. So, so let, let, let's say you borrowed 10,000 pounds, and we'll put it in, in our language. And he had a record of that. And do you know what the record was? It wasn't in a book. It wasn't written down in a pen. It was actually an amount that was stamped into warm wax. And here was proof of what you had paid. The amount could be shown on the wax. You owed £10,000. But when you come in to pay your debt, hopefully you weren't paying interest, this is what he did. He took that piece of wax that he had put your debt on, and he heated it. And then he put it through some sort of mangled machine that would have flattened that wax. And as it went through that heating and flattening process, by the time it came out the other end, the amount was gone. It was blotted out. The record of your debt could not be found. The name and the amount was flattened. No trace. No more remembrance. And this is something that God does. God promises, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. These men in Israel had religion. And men in Ulster have religion. But they might have rites as well and ceremonies. They might even belong to one of the loyal institutions, whether it's the... Grand Orange Lodge of Ireland, or whether it's the Royal Black Preceptory, or whether it's a member of the Apprentice Boys, and how many are holding up their collarette. And that's what they're depending on to get them into heaven. These men of Israel had the same. They had religion, they had rites and ceremonies, but one thing they hadn't got, they hadn't true repentance. And one thing they needed was their sins blotted out. And here's the remedy. Here's the result if they repent. That their sins may be blotted out. Repent and be converted. Have a change of mind about the Savior, about sin, about the Scriptures, about salvation. And have a change of conduct and behavior so that you acknowledge your sin in the sense that you turn from it and you put your faith and trust in Christ as he's offered to you in the gospel. 
And here's the remedy for every sin. Here's the remedy for every guilty conscience. The Lord is part of change. The Lord is part of cleanse. Cleanse from all secret and known and presumptuous sin. Think of the prodigal. Luke 15, verse 17. It says, and when he came to himself. In other words, there was a change in his mind. There was a change in his conduct. The prodigal had repented. The prodigal had recognized his sin. The prodigal returned to the father's house. The prodigal was received. The prodigal was reconciled. There's the result of repentance. One final thing. The remedy of repentance. Look again at our text. And what does it say in Acts 3 verse 19? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Is it possible tonight that the church of Jesus Christ can experience revival? Is it possible tonight that we could have another Pentecost? That there's a refreshing of Christ's church and earth? I believe the answer is yes. Do you believe that tonight? Do you know that the Holy Spirit has never been taken away? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is with us, the people of God? Do you know that where there's a lifting up of Christ and exalting him in his person and work, the Holy Spirit is there present? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is present where Christ is preached? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is present where the word of God is proclaimed? Do you know the Holy Spirit is present when God's people are faithful to the blood in the book? You think of these words, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. There's times of refreshing. You think of a drought situation. And are we not in a spiritual drought tonight in Northern Ireland? And what do we need? We need times of refreshing. We need the Lord to send a shower of spiritual rain. How could we see this? It's connected to the word repent. There has to be a turning to the Lord. There has to be an asking of him. There has to be a dependence on him. The, the mindset has to be a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness. And there has to be a close fellowship with him. And there has to be short accounts with God. You see, many professing Christians, preacher myself included, and, and others that sit in the pew, we, we really have lost our first love. We really have lost our close, intimate fellowship with the Lord. Oh, we may be intellectual, but where's the intimacy with the Lord? Where, where's the walking close with the Lord? Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was not because the Lord took him. He had a testimony that he pleased God, and that's surely what we long for. Where's the passionate, ardent desire for him? Where's the speaking up and speaking out in his name against all known secret and presumptuous sin in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our country? Can we see times of refreshing once again? The answer is yes, but it's connected to this theme of repentance. The remedy of repentance will bring about times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I leave this message with you. I preached it in the open air a few weeks ago in a different format. 
the bones are the same. There's a repetition. And this is the message that needs to go out to the whole of the country. Repent ye therefore. And here's the reason. You're wrong in your thinking. You're wrong in your conduct and behavior. And here's the result. Your sins can be blotted out. And here's the remedy. Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. May the Lord bless his word to all who have heard it tonight and use it for his glory.